Welcome back to Detroit Strange. Thank you. I was having like a moment and I was like, you know, when like you have like a hiccup or a burp that just gets caught in your throat or chest and it's like, yeah. I don't know which way it's going yet. So I just need to like take a minute. <laughs> that's what happened. Okay. As that's, soon as you I hit mean, record. That's fair. So I'm glad you, you jumped in. I've always got your back. So thank you. You know, I'm here. Yes. I'm here to intro the podcast when necessary. <laughs> yes. The pod. The pod. I've been watching a lot of Trixie and Katya's podcast on YouTube. Okay. And like, I love it because like Trixie's, she says this phrase a lot and I might have to steal it, but she's like, if we can get vulnerable on the pod today or like <laughs> just things about like that. And I'm like, I don't know why it tickles me so. Because it's delightful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why. I did see them last week. Oh yeah. 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 You were talking Masonic. about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. I heard it was great. Yeah. It was a really good show. It was a fully scripted, choreographed, all that. It's the first time they've really toured together. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. I love that for you and for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Love all around. <laughs> and it was at the Masonic. So. It was. I love the Masonic. Beautiful uh, building. We've uh, talked about it before. <laughs> yes. The bathroom sitch could be a little better. It's but, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I love that they have marble cubicles. Yeah. But uh, maybe just a few more. See, I think the women's restroom might have more no is it not oh okay. so we were up in the balcony at least because like we talked about this during the show because like the women's only had the two stalls oh, and then the men's of, have okay. the two stalls and the two urinals so it's like four total okay so i think what it is is the big bathrooms are in like the lower part yeah yeah so they're just far away from that part okay but that like this being the type of show it was meaning yeah. it was predominantly women and gay men there were women yeah. in the men's line, and I'm like, get it. I, yeah. If I was a woman right now, I would be doing the same thing mm-hmm. because it's just a fucking bathroom. Well, I was going to say the fact that we still have gendered bathrooms at all is completely yeah. stupid to me. I There's stalls. Yeah. You're not going to see anything if people are using stalls. Just put some stalls up around urinals, and then you're good to go. Right. Who cares? Or have a separate urinal room, I guess. Like, if you really want urinals. Like, right. that's the only thing that I can think of that, you know, might make people uncomfortable or whatever. Right. But no, if Allie McBeal can do it, we can do it. Absolutely. Because it makes no sense. Yeah. I feel like that's a common thing in gay spaces where, like, it's kind of just bathrooms are free for all. Wherever you can find somewhere to take care of business is yeah. fine with everyone there. Yeah. I mean, I kind of judge a space now if they, like in a good way where if they have unisex bathrooms, like I'm like, cool. Yeah. I agree with this, especially if it's onesie bathrooms. That drives me nuts. And the onesies are gender specific. I'm like, why? Yeah. There's no reason for that at all. I love that you call them onesie bathrooms. <laughs> I call them one holers. Okay. Fair. Which fair. is like. Sometimes bit- they have two holes though. Cause sometimes they still have a urinal in them. True. So. But yeah, I, I don't understand when it's like a one person type of situation, no. why you've bothered making it gendered. No, it's like you just have two bathrooms. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. Gender neutral bathrooms. They should all be into it that yeah. way. Yeah. 
And this uh, has been Bathroom Talk with Bathroom Talk. Detroit Strange. Yes. That is exciting, though. Glad you had fun. I'm glad that show was good. And yeah, yeah. between that and like my glass blowing class, which is at CCS downtown. So like, mm-hmm. I guess not downtown, midtown, but like, you know, yeah, it's just been nice to having excuses to go down to the city more. Like I was just talking about this, especially because it's been winter. The motivation to go places is yeah. at an all time low. Yeah. I mean, I live in the city and I don't I mean, and I work in the city <laughs> and those are like the two locations I go to in the city. I totally because, get yeah. it because it's like when it's cold, it's like, OK, if I want to go anywhere, it's going to be somewhere where I have to spend money. And if I'm not trying yeah. to spend money, mm-hmm. it's just like I go outside and do what? Yeah. Stare at a tree. I mean, yeah, I love staring at trees, but it's cold out. I will say, though, a couple weeks ago, a uh, friend of the show, Wendy. Yes. Friend of the pod. Yes. Came over and we went down to the river walk and just walked around. And then afterwards, there's in Corktown, there's a gelato coffee place that opened Ooh. up in the past like few months. Yes. And we went and had some, I think it was like lemon custard gelato or something like Ooh. that. And it was super delicious. They also, I haven't had this yet, but they do the espresso with or gelato with espresso poured over it. Spot, oh, spag- I love that. Spagaccio? I don't oh, know the name. Uh, Affogato. Thank you. I remember because Ms. Cracker is a drag queen made a joke about it when she was playing Lady Gaga. And she was like, I had that ice cream and stuff. What's it called? I don't know. Affogato. Oh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> but those are delicious. So they I look are. forward to having one at this. Maybe you can come over and we'll go get Affogato's. Absolutely. From that place, because it's really, I think it's called Memento or something like that. And Love the name. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. It was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my big city outing recently. Yeah. I really want to like go to the DIA after class one day. And I just heard about. I'll meet you. Okay. Yeah. Because you want to go to the Gentle Eshi show. The what? The Gentle Eshi show. That's hard sure. to say. That's the, um. The show that's up right now. I, I believe it's up right now. It's like in Absolutely. Her... I like, I'm down really to go see anything at the DIA because I love the DIA. Okay. I would love that because I, I drove by it the other day actually. And I was like, I haven't, well, obviously I haven't been there in a while. And I think that would be a yeah. nice thing to do. I went to the DIA a couple months ago with Molly from uh-huh. the pod. And it was just, it's a nice place to like walk around with someone because it's kind of just real chill. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't really have to interact with other people. It's just kind of mm-hmm. like, we're in the same gallery wandering around and say, hey, look at this. Or like, stupid joke about this painting. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, I like going to art museums with people. I feel like you and I would have fun because I feel like we would know random weird facts about things. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I feel like we both like to talk about art history every yeah. once in a while. So I feel like, to, yeah, we need to do this. Yeah. I'm excited already. Yeah. Okay. We're doing it. Yes. Maybe we'll even document a little on our story or something. Yes, for sure. I also heard there's a good candle shop downtown I want to check out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So one of my glass blowing class was like, yeah, there's like this like strip of stores over this way. That's like there's a really good candle shop and then like some kind of vegan ice cream shop. I have no idea. I'm intrigued. I think the vegan ice cream shop is called the cold truth. Cute. Yeah. Which perfect name. Yeah. But yeah, I remember like someone was telling me that I'm like, that sounds great. I should go do that. Yeah. Sometimes after glass blowing, though, I looked at the glory holes thermostat today, like yeah, uh-huh. yesterday, and had to remind myself that that was a temperature, not a year, because it was like 1979. Oh my god, the temperature. That's insane, right? This past week, I made my first vase. <gasps> oh yay! Yeah. 
So you'll have that next week. Yes. Okay. It's in the annealer probably still. Last week was the first time we like started working with blowing the glass and creating like open vessels. Mm-hmm. So to kind of make one larger, it's hard because you really have to like keep the pipe spinning to keep it like yeah. on center. And especially once it's in the glory hole and it just gets hot, especially because it's hollow, it'll just start drooping really quickly if you don't paying attention to it. Yeah. And you, I'm at the same speed, I would imagine, too, is pretty important for, yeah. for shape. It's interesting because, like, you don't need to be fast with glass, which I think was my misconception. Is like, everything needs to be done super quickly. It's like, cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can always reheat it. It's more just about being very deliberate with what you're doing. Okay. And not like... It's been an interesting mental experience to have just kind of like, okay, things are coming at me. I don't need to like be fast, but I need to be able to make decisions quickly mm-hmm. and kind of like just know where I'm going with it. Yeah. Because when you don't, it just kind of goes to shit. Okay. Yeah. It's a metaphor for life. Yeah. <laughs> just it, kidding. No, I was kind of thinking that earlier. I'm just kind of like, I need to apply this to the rest of my life. It's not urgent in the fact that it needs to be done quickly. It's urgent in... Take a minute and be deliberate with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think you can find metaphors for life in like any kind of creation process, like oh, any kind of art form. Absolutely. And there are different ones that you can pull for sure. But I think like that's the important connection with art. Yeah. Is that, you know, we can learn lessons in that process. Yeah. To apply elsewhere. And it's, I'm so cheesy, but it's beautiful. It really, no, it is. Yeah. I'm really enjoying this new medium. Because, like, I didn't realize this when I, like, joined the class, but I think there's six people in the class. Okay. And me and one other girl were the only people who had not taken it before. Oh, wow. Okay. And so it seems like people will just retake the class because it's access to the studio. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very special environment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, a reasonably price for the time you get and almost all the materials are included. I'm excited because like now I want to take it again. And now that I know more, I can get my own fun colors, not rely on the kindness of like the mystery bag. Yeah. Well, you're making me want to take it now. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been like something I want to do at some point. <laughs> I feel like 90% of the people I tell I'm glass blowing. They're all like, say, I want to do that. Like, I've always wanted to do yeah. that. And I'm like, then do it. Yeah. Now is the time with the world kind of starting to like, Come back to life in a way of we're not out of the woods. The pandemic's not over by any mm. means, but we're getting to a phase where like public life is starting to return to some semblance of normal. Mm-hmm. Not a super great normal, but just kind of like people are going places and doing things normal. Mm-hmm. It's nice to kind of be out amongst people. like I would, New the, people? New people and also just kind of like, it's so easy for me to just sit in my house and doom scroll. Yeah. And so to kind of be out and just witness like random acts of kindness or just kind of seeing that people aren't always awful. They can be neutral or good too. Mm -hmm. They're still bad, obviously, but just kind of like, there's a lot to humanity and it's not all bad, which is very easy when you're alone in your house for two years doom scrolling. Oh yeah. No, it's human interaction is what, life is about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, the sense of community and coming together in certain ways and different communities too, because everybody is a part of multiple communities. Yeah. And you know, new ones are refreshing and and there's something there too. And especially, you know, you're coming together with people under this, you know, creative umbrella. Yeah. And also just this like desire to learn something, which that that's 
we should all desire to learn. Yeah. You know, for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. And you're kind of inspiring me to want to do some things now, like just sign up for things. You're inspiring me to try and find ways to do more of that. Yeah. uh, And also to look for the the little things. Yeah. So thank you. No problem. Glad I was able to inspire you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I even, I did not go to any classes this week. But what I did do is watch a movie. Yes. <laughs> I watched Free Guy, which I've heard a lot about. It's been about. on my list for a minute because mm-hmm. like I've seen the poster a thousand times and then someone finally told me what it's about. I'm like, that sounds interesting. That sounds like something I would enjoy. Have I watched it yet? Absolutely not. I had no idea what it was about before I watched it. Other than like, I remember people kind of mentioning it, but I never saw yeah. anything about what it was about. So, so for anybody else out there. Uh, it's about a NPC in a video game. Non-playable character. Yes. Yeah. Who basically becomes like sentient. Like, yeah. Yeah. AI. Yeah. And it's interesting. There's a lot more to it, but that's like the kind of basis of it. It was so good. I had no expectations going in if I would like it or dislike it or anything. Yeah. And again, didn't even actually know what it was about. But it was very well done. I am not a gamer. Yeah. But I could still follow everything. Yeah. You know, so that's that's a plus to me. But I, I don't know. I think the underlying thing of it was it it filled my heart. It's one of those like feel good, you know, things for sure. Yeah. And visually it was really cool too. So yeah, it was very creative. Some cool effects. Yeah. Yeah. So I do recommend it. And it was a lot of fun. I'll have to watch it because yeah. like I said, it's been on my list for a minute. But it, it was a really good, I watched it Saturday night. So it was a really good, like, Saturday night, like, yeah. cozy by myself movie. Because uh, at the end of it, I was like, joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is what Saturday night should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I almost started watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Because okay. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either, actually. And I just, I feel like it's just been coming up a lot recently. I feel like this happens with, like, movies sometimes where, you know, like, we're all like, no movie exists and like hear nothing about it. Then all of a sudden, three times in the past month, I've it's come up in conversation or on like a show I watch or just like, it's just like been mentioned sometimes. I'm like, okay, I think it's kind of just like a rule of three. Mm-hmm. Just like ran, if I just randomly hear about it three times, I'm like, I need to see this now. Yeah. Plus, I love Michelle Yeoh. Okay, then yeah. Yeah. It is interesting when not new references come up. Yeah. Multiple, but it does happen a lot. Yeah. Oh, actually, that happened to me while I was writing my Two Truths and a Lie for today. Uh-huh. The thing I was writing about, I had the TV on in the background, and then the thing I was writing about got mentioned in the show uh-huh. as, like, just a passing thing. But I was like, that's weird. Yeah. Random. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yes. Are you ready for a story? I am ready for a story. This... Could mark the end of an era. I don't think it quite does, but this comes from the last chapter of Wicked Women of Detroit. I've been jumping oh. out of order, so okay, I yeah. know there's probably ones I haven't hit yet, mm-hmm. but it was also very like, oh, it's the last chapter in this book. <laughs> but have you ever heard of a woman named Nina Housden? I have not. I'm so happy you haven't because the story is wild. Okay. Picture it. Detroit, 1944. Mm-hmm. 
Nina Housden is sitting at a kitchen table doing a crossword puzzle in her basement apartment at 50 Gerald in Highland Park. Sounds pretty normal, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let me paint the rest of the picture. If you look at her feet on the floor, you see a recently strangled man. <gasps> How did we get here? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to back it up a couple of years and we're going to go down to Kentucky. Okay. Which is where she's from. Okay. She was working at a waitress in a cocktail bar. Not really. It was, <laughs> it was a diner, but I couldn't resist. That much is true. <laughs> Except for not this story. So while she was working at a waitress at a diner, she met a man by the name of Charles Housden and fell in love hard. Like so much so that she like divorced her first husband to have a chance to get with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. She went after him. They were married after a few months. And that's when Nina's dream turned into a nightmare. Because it turned out Charles would physically abuse her to the point where she had two miscarriages. He also had, as the book so eloquently put it, a, quote, zipper problem. Meaning he couldn't Mm. keep it in his pants. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that phrase before, but I like it. No, I I think I have. I I probably (laughs) have heard it before, but like, I haven't heard it in a minute. Yeah. I like that phrase, though. Like, apparently not only could he not keep it in his pants, but he also couldn't keep his stupid mouth shut. Oh, even better. Yeah, when frequently brag about his conquests and even compare sleeping with them to sleeping with Nina to Nina. Oh, wow. Yeah, being like, man, this other girl, she this great, you don't kind of thing. Like, That's just being real shitty. Real bad, yeah. Yes, at least this is what Nina was claiming after she was arrested. Oh. So it was mm-hmm. like, they're... I couldn't find anything to corroborate these claims, but I'm also like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Well, and yeah. like if she's take yeah. it with a grain of salt, basically. Right. Yeah. But despite these problems that Nina was talking about, she was determined to make it work. Again, she left her first husband for this. So she's like, let's, you know, we're going to give it the old college try. Mm-hmm. And, you know, try as hard as she could. She reached a breaking point in September of 1944 and filed for divorce. Okay. She was quoted saying at the time, quote, it was hell with him and hell without him. Hmm. That doesn't sound good. Uh, Yep. (laughs) It's only gonna go worse. Okay. So despite this filing for divorce and kind of like, I'm done. She wasn't done. Mm -hmm. She couldn't let him go. And she turned to following him to Detroit. So he like, she filed for divorce. He moved to Detroit. She moved to Detroit too. Oh, okay. He got a job as a bus driver and she's got a job as stalking him. (laughs) Like, What does that pay? I wonder. It must be a lot because she would do things like show up at the bus station, which is, you know, that's free. But then she would also like get taxis to follow the bus and just yell at him from the window of the taxi. Oh. Which I feel like that's got to add up quick. Yeah. And like then she would also do things like ride on the bus just to watch him from the back seat and like would call him on the oh, phone, dear. hang up right as he was answering and like was sending endless letters and telegrams because 1944. Yeah. So, so much effort. A lot of fucking effort. And it was enough so that Charles managed to get a restraining order against Nina in October of that year. So this mm-hmm. went on for at least a month. Okay. Wow. Yikes. Now we're going to get on to what I call Divorce Miss Eve. Okay. Because the book referred to it the eve, as their divor- the eve of their divorce. Okay. So it's December 18th, 1944, and Charles agreed to go on one last date with Nina to like officially end things like all right, we're getting divorced one last time just for old time's sake kind of thing. 
That so the, seems so strange, though, after her behavior. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if she was doing all those things for him to. I, my guess is she was, like, probably begging, like, please, just one last time. And then he you was like, my, okay. Yeah. That's my guess. Okay. There's I have nothing to back that up, but that was yeah. how I read it. So they ended up going to dinner and a movie, and afterwards, Nina lured Charles to her apartment, likely using sex as bait, knowing Charles' love for the activity. In the scene that Nina paints of the night after some, quote, one last time sex, Charles came out into the kitchen in his underwear and had made some kind of disparaging remark about her and her lovemaking skills, or maybe just told her that it was over, over, and she couldn't accept it. But Nita admitted that what played out next, she had been planning for over a year, even before filing the divorce papers. Wow. With his back turned to her, she grabbed a clothesline and tied a noose, slipped it over Charles' necks and pulled like hell, even using a chair to brace herself mm. and using a knife as a tourniquet or like, like a knife to torque the rope even tighter until Charles stopped fighting and slumped to the floor. Oh, my God. Nina had been pulling so hard she had rope burns on her hand. Oh, this is when she decided to work on her crossword puzzle. Wow. She basically murdered her soon-to-be ex-husband and was like, you know what? Crossword puzzle. I need a break. She's like, you know, that was stressful. <laughs> Let me unwind with a crossword puzzle real quick. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So she finished her crossword. She hoisted the body back into her bed and then went for a walk. Why, why, would, she, why would she put it back in the bed? What is that? What? There's no point. Girl, I don't know. I mean, there's I, no point to anything she's done. But, Maybe she was just really hopeful for rigor Morris to work in her favor. Okay. But didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. Mostly just a joke on my part. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to fast forward four days into the future. So now it's December 22nd, still 1944. And we find Nina in her car heading south on the Dixie Highway with a few boxes and a rubberized sheet in the back of her car. Okay. Any ideas what may have been inside those boxes? I'm going to guess. Her husband. Girl Scout cookies. No, I'm just kidding. Uh. <laughs> Obviously, the boxes were sus, and her plan was to head back to her native Kentucky to get rid of the body in one of the caves down there, which she might have gotten away with had her car not broken down outside Toledo. Wow. The mechanics told Nina that her car would take two days to fix, but she refused to leave her car, or refused to leave the car at, like, even ordering meals to the garage so she wouldn't have to leave the car. And I mean, they also noticed that she seemed oddly protective of the boxes that were starting to develop a pungent odor. Mm-hmm. And she claimed that the boxes contained venison because that's how people transport venison and in boxes. Boxes. Mm-hmm. boxes. That's yeah. normal. Yeah. Room temperature boxes, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure they had coolers in the 40s. Right. So, if they had yeah. ice boxes, they had to have. Coolers. Something. Yeah. Insulated so, boxes, basically. Right. I don't know about insulated because I I don't know when insulation was a thing. So I remember I just watched a YouTube video about insulated glass. Oh, and it okay. came out in the 70s. Okay. One company called them twin does because there were two panes of glass. Anyway, back to this story. Yeah. After nearly 24 hours of remaining in her car, sleep finally got the better of Nina. And with this opportunity, one of the mechanics decided to peek into one of the boxes <gasps> and was greeted by the disembodied head of Charles no, no. looking oh. right back at him. And he chose the head box. Mm-hmm. Of all the boxes, he chose the one with the head. Yeah. Poor oh, guy. I mean, like any of those would have been disturbing, but. You don't want to see a face in the box. Yeah. It's a face in the box. That poor yeah. face in the box. Face in the box. 
So after that, Nina spent Christmas Eve being interrogated by Detective Ralph Murphy of the Detroit Police Homicide Squad. Okay. During this interrogation, she admitted to have been planning this as far back as December 1943 as a way to keep Charles all to herself. Oh, gosh. She also admitted that her first thought was to use a butcher knife, but opted for a rope instead. <laughs> she was quoted as saying the following, quote, This is the first peace of mind I've had. Now I know where he is. He was my soulmate. I, oh, that's it gets so worse. sad. Okay. So she also went on to say that her bloodlust was not quenched either. And that, quote, if I were free, I would go to Kentucky and kill a couple of women he had affairs with. Oh, wow. Which, you know, if you're being interrogated for a murder, it might not be the wisest thing to admit that you were planning other murders. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer, but I would not recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after watching How to Get Away with Murder. I, I'm kind of a lawyer now. I've watched two seasons. By the end of six, I'll be a lawyer. I promise. It is interesting, though, too. I mean, it's not, it's bad interesting, but it's yeah. interesting because. Morbidly interesting. Yeah. Well, because, you know, when we talk about, I believe this would be psychopathic behavior. Yeah. Um. You know, it is, it is a different way that their brains are wired and you know it sounds like the fact that she was admitting it she wanted to do it but also like didn't want to do you know what I mean like she had the desire to do those things to those women but also kind of wanted it to stop maybe maybe I mean I I can't imagine why she'll be some quotes later on that illuminate some of her thought process too but yeah it's definitely an interesting way of thinking yeah yeah I yeah So, on Christmas morning, Nina Housden was now in the custody of the Detroit police and was recounting her story again to Mm -hmm. assistant prosecutor Harold Helper, which, what a great name. That's a great name. Right? Yeah. Harold Helper, here to help. I hope that was his business card. I hope so, too. Like, during this interrogation, she kind of changed her motive to be something a little bit less selfish than, I now know where he is, Uh and I have him all to myself. Uh, she was quoted as saying, quote, I knew I had to kill him because he took special pride in going out with wives of other men he met at the station. He boasted about them and I was jealous. I mean, I said slightly less jealous or slightly yeah, less selfish, I was but say, still not a, slightly, a good reason. No, not a great reason, but just kind of like. At least kind of like offering some reason mm-hmm. and not just I know where he is now. Yeah, he's on my she also added some details to kind of color in the murder for that night. And like I said, she took a walk and she said that was to steal her nerves for what she had to do next. So squeamish warning. If you don't like gory detail, just like go ahead and hit the fast forward button like 30 seconds. So when she got home, she took the body from the bed and moved it to the aforementioned rubberized sheet and then used a razor to cut off the feet, the mm. legs, the knee the arms of the elbow, and last but not least, the head of the neck. She boxed up the pieces, wrapped up what was left of the torso in the rubberized sheet, and put in her car. And she waited like four days before leaving town. Like, so the murder happened the night of the 18th. Mm-hmm. She didn't leave town to the 22nd. Why so, wait? No, that's so strange. Yeah. You just, you're leaving more time for somebody to realize Catch he's missing. Wise. Yeah. Yeah. 
and also the decay. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Couldn't be me. Uh-huh. Um, she also had like one last moment of introspection during this questioning, and she said, quote, I'm sorry he's gone. I really loved him. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sure. So now we're at the trial. Okay. And I'm not sure how long it's been, but we're at now at Nina's arraignment where she was asked how she pled. And she had a cryptic answer that I have two different quotes from, from two different sources. Okay. So in the book, Wicked Women of Detroit by Tubman T. Book, she was quoted as saying, I'm guilty, but so are a lot of other people. Who? <laughs> well... In a quote from an article from the December 28th, 1944 edition of the Toledo Blade, Mm -hmm. she was quoted as saying, I think I'm equally guilty as the mother and sister. But but why? So what she was getting at with like a lot of other people then specifically saying the mother and sister is that they had encouraged Charles to see other women. Oh, okay. Which like. No, still. Like, I mean, that's not cool either, but... Right, and like, given that they were filing for divorce, I don't know. Well, actually, yeah, I forgot about that fact, and... The, like, maybe yeah. not until the divorce is finalized, but... It's I mean, I think it... Everyone moves at their own pace. I was going to say, I think it's different for different situations, and I'm not in that... You know what I mean? Like, so... Yeah. As long as, like, the commitment part has ended, you do what is best for you. Yeah. So after she like kind of made this weird statement about mother and sister, she was quoted as saying, and this is from the book, he was maneuvered into a situation where I had to kill him. Had? <laughs> yeah. So the judge was like, I don't know what to do with this information. And her plea was just dismissed for being ambiguous. Okay. Yeah. They're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. I didn't hear guilty or not guilty yeah. in there at all. Yeah. Now I have a date. We're in April of 1945 and she was facing a trial and jury. So like during the arraignment and like her interrogation, she kind of was like cold and distant, you Mm -hmm. know, just kind of like icy, emotionless. Yeah. But now that she's in front of a jury, her demeanor had changed and like, it may have been from spending time in prison. It may have been a show to kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. get the jury in her favor. But like, she kind of went from like being like, yeah, I fucking killed him to like, like weepy, dabbing her eyes with a handkerchief and like barely being able to talk through sobbing fits. Yeah. Trying to get that support. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting because like the jury in this case, I remember reading it was like seven women and five men. Okay. Which I think was rare for the time. Well, I know because I know um, defense and prosecution both get to kind of, you know, help Mm -hmm. in the jury process. And I'm going to assume that. Defense is probably like, let's, yeah, get, some, let's get as let's many get ladies as we can. Yeah. That makes sense. So while she was on the stand, like one of her like kind of plans was to try and tarnish Charles's character as much as possible by bringing up the beatings leading to miscarriages and as many affairs that he bragged about. She also talked about how Charles would ridicule her body and even backtracked on her confession, saying that she tried to resuscitate him to try and make it seem like a crime of passion and not premeditated murder, Mm -hmm. which it was. Mm -hmm. And she might have gotten some more sympathy if Chief Assistant Prosecutor Frank Shemansky 
hadn't brought up the fact that she decided to do a crossword puzzle where her soon-to-be ex-husband was lying dead at her feet on the floor with a rope still around his neck. Mm-hmm. Wait, how did they know about the crossword puzzle? Because she told them in one she of the interrogations. Them. Yeah. What a weird thing. Like, I don't know how else they would have known yeah. other than her, like, telling him them. Unless they found, like, the crossword puzzle with, like, that day's date and, like, some blood splatter, you know? Yeah, but... There was no blood. Yeah, yeah. just what a weird and odd detail. Right. She yeah. really liked crossword puzzles. Yeah, she was like, you know what? I'm two things. A murderess and a crossword enthusiast. Mm-hmm. She's like, I finished that day. Yeah. She's the like, whole puzzle. She's like, I killed two birds with one stone and also my husband with a clothesline. <laughs> so after about four hours of deliberation, she was found guilty by the jury and was sentenced to life in prison. Okay. Yeah. She would only end up serving 22 of those years and would be released in 1967. Okay. Which is crazy. And yeah. I think it's also when insulated glass became a thing. Oh, well, there we go. She left prison and invented insulated oh, glass. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> But that's kind of the end of the story. She's dead now, obviously, because mm-hmm. she'd be like 114 or I don't even know. I can't math right now. Yeah. But anyway, my sources before I forget, like I said, Wicked Women of Detroit by Tobin T. Book or Buck. I don't really know. I still don't know how to pronounce it. Tobin B. Yep. And the Toledo Blade via Google News and Murderpedia.org. Love it. Yeah. That was a surprise. Right? What a story. <laughs> I, yeah. That was shocking. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Oh, I don't get brains. Yeah. That is, that is wild. Yeah. Um, mm, I'm a little disturbed that she got out after 22 years just because that yeah, was like a, such she, a horrific. Right. Like. And because of all the things she said around it, too, I'm a little like, how? I mean, I could also imagine someone being that cold of a blood, like that cold of a killer could also probably like. Manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that's part of like psychopathy. Yeah. Is being very charismatic, generally speaking, too. Yeah. Um, I don't want to. As I'm learning with with the dropout on Hulu. There's only one more episode. I'm so excited for it. Okay. But that was a great story. Thank you. A shocking story. And I have a two truths and a lie. I love it. Excited. We're going. You hinted at it earlier. I'm excited to see what it is. I did. Uh, I'm calling this second edition Houdini. Okay. I'm going to give you the three in a second, but just, you know, there's a lot of facts about Houdini out there, obviously, was, yeah. you know, a very well-known person. They could not have fit into the episode that we did a yeah. very long time ago, over two years ago now, I believe. And somewhere in the beginning, if you're interested and you haven't heard it, go back, listen to it. But I don't think I mentioned this at the time, but I just want to say his real name was actually Eric Weiss. Yes. Okay. I never remembered seeing that. And if I did mention it, then I think you me. did. Okay. Again, it's been almost two years. My friend Sam would know. She texts me. She's like, I started listening to your podcast this weekend. I started episode one. I'm like, oh, I always told her like the audio gets better. I'm like, mm, she probably won't even. Yeah, it I'm does just, get much better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those we first, were still figuring it out. We were. We but were. those first episodes, I cherished them because that was our start. Oh, my gosh. I still love them. I Absolutely. still look back on that with great joy. Yeah. 
Uh, it is funny. There is like one of those the first episodes, like 20 minutes too. Yeah. I think, is it the cemetery? I think so. I think it's the cemetery one. Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious. Yeah. So, but that's, I mean, that's the nature of all podcasts. I feel right, like they the all joy get of finding your flow. Time goes on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were nervous. Right. Nervous little new podcasters then. Yes. So here are your two truths and a lie. Your okay. three snacks. One. He was an early aviator who even made history. Two, he once managed to escape from copyright infringement. True escape artist. And, and three, he once almost drowned in beer. Ooh. I'm going to go with the copyright infringement. Damn it. That is the lie. Uh, I do love that you had an escape, like a non-traditional escape in there. Mm-hmm. But I, like, yeah. Well, actually, I'm going to do that one third, though. I'm going to go through the other two facts first. So he was an early aviator. And basically what this means is in 1909, he made his first flight after buying a French Voisson biplane for $5,000. And many believe that he was the 25th person ever to fly a a plane. Okay. And some dispute this, but he's often recognized as the first person to ever make a controlled flight in a powered plane on Australian soil. Okay. So that date would have been March 18th of 1910 in Digger's Rest near Melbourne. And despite a delay after bad weather the day before, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, this was witnessed by nine people. He would actually go on to receive a trophy from the Australian Aerial League. Okay. Uh, But the dispute was there was also somebody named Fred Kustance, who was 19 years old in South Australia, who claimed to have flown a monoplane on March 17th. So just the day before. Yeah. But Fred had no witnesses and years later went on to admit that it was a false claim. Uh-huh. What is worse is after Houdini died, another challenge was made on the behalf of Colin DeFreeds, uh-huh. an Englishman who is said to have flown a Wright model plane about 115 yards at Disney's, Disney's, I'm not sure how to say it, Victoria. Disney? I'm just it looks like it almost. But I also might have mistyped it. Race course on December 9th of 1909. So a little bit before. Uh-huh. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention Houdini's flight only lasted a minute and it reached a height of no more than 25 feet. Love it. Yeah. Early aviation, though. I know. It's so good. It's crazy. We made it. Yeah. And, and by we, I mean people much smarter than myself oh, yeah. years ago. I could never. Couldn't be me. No. I can barely make a paper airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and just also. To add on to his love of flying, in June of 1920, it was reported he was making plans to go on what would have been the first transatlantic flight from Paris to New York, but it never happened. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about the time he almost drowned in beer. Okay. And in 1908, he invented a trick, which basically he would get into an oversized milk can Uh that was filled with water. And it was then placed behind a curtain. He was handcuffed and put inside and it was sealed and then he would escape from it during the show later on it would have like a wooden crate around it you know just to make it even more yeah one day in 1911 the people at joshua tetley and son a brewing company in england invited him to do the escape from a cask of their product yeah so it didn't go too well though and he actually ended up having to be rescued by his assistant franz kokel uh Basically, they think because he got drunk. Yeah. I mean, when you're submerged in a tank mm-hmm. of beer, it's 
Well, Only likely. And I didn't write this part down, but there was something about like they all and his wife was at this particular one, which she was not always at. So there was just like anymore. weird th- pressures and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think they all did some sort of toast before where she had like put the glass up to her lips, but didn't have it. Like it was like a yeah. weird. Yeah. And Tetley's actually still shares this bit of trivia on their official website. Uh-huh. But it didn't stop him from doing this again because he did this trick 21 times in total for other beer companies. Just them. They were like, we're the ones who broke him. But yeah, keep going, sis. Yeah. And now the copyright thing. Mm-hmm. So he didn't escape copyright infringement. But what he did do is he did copyright three of his acts, despite the fact that magic tricks couldn't have a copyright. Love that for him. So, He's like, uh, excuse me, I'm doing it anyway. Uh-huh. Because you know it could have a copyright. Performances? Plays. Okay. Scripted work. So his first American copyright registration was for the playlet Challenge, also known as Houdini Upside Down. Uh-huh. And the playlet, which just short play, I'm assuming, yeah, just so happened to include his famous water torture cell trick where he would be lowered upside down into a water-filled tank with his feet locked up in stocks. So the actual registration for it described the work as a, quote, magical, dramatic playlet over the course of 16 pages. Uh-huh. The first act shows a group of men talking about Houdini's amazing abilities, integrity, and willingness to take on a challenge. Uh, and then by the second, the end of the second act, Houdini, as himself, accepts the men's challenge. And in the script, it says, quote, Houdini makes his escape. And then the crowd goes, three cheers for Houdini. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. I love it. So he went on to do this trick through his 1926 tour, when the stocks broke and he actually fractured an ankle. Chat. So the second copyright, because he went on to do it two yeah. more times, in 1914 was with something called, quote, walking through a brick wall. And it was another two-act playlet that featured a father who constructed a brick wall to keep the son of his mortal enemy away from being able to see his garden. And a line from it is, quote, the day you can walk through the brick wall that separates our houses, I'll give you my daughter. Yikes. <laughs> Gross. And then the next day, the father wakes up to see that the young man has made it through. And to his new fiance, he says, quote, Alice, whether I did or not, everything is fair in love and war. Solid writing. Yep. I mean, I'm glad he was an escape artist. I didn't write this part down, but he did actually write a lot of books. Like, okay. There's a whole list of them and other things, too, because I was like going to use that as a lie, maybe because I was like, this is poorly written. And so I, like one of them is Houdini, how I did it. <laughs> I will look. But yes. <laughs> that would be great. Right. A note in the playlist we were just talking about uh, says, quote, to attain the above practical effort of walking through the brick wall, the wall proper is laid across the center of a trap door, an opening of which gives an opening and stage on both sides of wall through which the person playing the part gets from one side of the wall to the other the dirt and grass mounds acting as screens for the trap. So soon after this knockoffs were made of this trick, basically because the apparatus wasn't part of the copyright, just the words uh-huh. were part of the copyright. So the trick died because everybody knew how it was done. Yeah. And then his third time getting a copyright also in 1914 was for something called buried alive. And the premise of this playlet was two tourists who try to one up a local priest by performing a miracle. 
One of the tourists is basically placed in a straitjacket and placed into an empty box and lowered into the ground to have dirt shoveled on top of him. Uh-huh. After a few chants and incantations, the tourist is shown to be relieved of his bonds and appearing just as he was before. And then the locals stand in awe and they treat him as like a supernatural being of some sort, but he claims that he's just mere man. So, and the coffin used in that show is actually the one he would be buried in. Love it. Yeah. But reduce, reuse, and recycle. <laughs> yes. But in 1915, during a performance of, of I believe that playlet, uh, he was buried in a pit covered in dirt in Santa Ana, California. While he was trying to dig out, panic struck as his air supply became fleeting. He tried to call for help, but wasn't heard. He did get to the surface though, and his hand eventually broke through and he was pulled out like basically at the last minute. Yeah. So I'm sure there's plenty more out there about Mr. Houdini. But those were just some fun things I found. Today. I love it. Yes. Always love to learn more about Houdini. He's such an interesting man. Yeah. I wouldn't say good. No, interesting. Yeah. It's very strange. Like I. I'd give him even a Midwest. He's different. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just different. He's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just like an interesting time period to the early For 1900s. Real. Uh, especially in like the entertainment. Well, in a lot of areas, but like in the entertainment industry. I was feeling sick, so I took my heroin cough syrup, then I went and saw Houdini, and then mm-hmm. I had a Coke with cocaine. Which, just speaking of, like, illusionists and things like that. I wasn't sure why. I did see Nightmare Alley. What'd you think? Um, It's not a feel-good movie. Absolutely uh, not. It's one of those things where there's a few things that happen in it that I'm like, oh, this is going to come up later, and I won't say too much because they would be spoilers. Yeah. I went into it with not high expectations because I had already talked to you. But I was resounding meh. Yeah. I liked it because I wasn't expecting anything specific. Okay. No, I was expecting the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was definitely one of those ones, though. Like afterwards, I was like, I'm sad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I think visually it was really interesting. Yes, I will give it that. I did like Tony Collette a lot in it and Rooney Mara. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was very. I Blanchett too and anything. I think it was. I think it was very well performed. I think it was visually very good, but it is, it's one of those like mind fuck movies. Yeah. Basically. And that's not bad. No, not at all. They're, that's very powerful, but it, it is very powerful. So also like enter into it. Yeah. With a healthy headspace. <laughs> yup. Because. And maybe ooh. that was my mistake in watching it. It was, I was just kind of like, Oh, I'm just going to watch a movie. I didn't make sure you take like emotional stock before you watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that serious, but it's also like just you know, no, it's a bummer. Yeah, that's it. But but a well a good, done bummer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, we were talking about illusionists and yes, all that, and no, it kind it, of like reminded me of that time fits. era, and you know, yeah, all the things. But I think we are wrapped like the Houdini in a tank. End of a trip or a trip. <laughs> end of a trick. End of a trick. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we are wrapped like Houdini in a straitjacket. Yeah. Well, if you want to find us on our social media at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address, DetroitStrange at gmail.com, drop us a line, let us know, whatever you got to tell us. We're mm-hmm. here. We're reading them. Yeah. Operators are standing by. Truly. Yes. Uh, and if you want to support the show, uh, share us with a friend. Yeah. Uh, we got a Patreon. We've got our Threadless shop. Yeah. 
that's what we have. <laughs> yeah, check them out. We got bonus content on the Patreon. We got merch on the on the Threadless. Mm-hmm. Do what you want to do. But most of all, I think until next time, stay, stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Sax and Violence.